0: here on podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 94. Yeah. And this
1: is an awesome episode because we are doing our level up review. Yeah. Split the
0: difference. Never split the difference. Never we <laughs> split the difference. You <laughs> failed already. What a fail. What a fail. I already lost, right? If you're splitting the difference in this book, you're losing. Lesson number one, don't split the difference. <laughs> I know. But I got to tell you, this book, out of I, I love all the books we've read. Some I love more than others. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's different people you love different. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you love your spouse, like the utmost, right? And then there's certain relatives you love more than others, right? Yeah, for sure. There's some is like the uncle that you love, but you just love good to- to
1: have around a little bit just for like, yeah, you yeah. know, one-off conversations. But then there's somebody you can go a little deeper with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See. So
0: that's kind of how I treat our books. Yeah. I think our books, because- I think we both know which one's the uncle, yeah. Which we're not going to share, no. <laughs> well, but the, or it could be the aunt, yeah. We we don't dis- discriminate against different genders of relatives, yeah. No, that's true. So, but you know,
1: um, I think this one's good. I, one of the reasons why, in fact, it's it's so good that we've decided we're probably going to take it a little bit slower on this one because there's so many great strategies. We really want to kind of flesh them out, uh, talk about some of the stories that he talks about in here, uh, and then go through how it'll apply to reselling and then beyond just reselling because. Uh, one of the big claims that this is making. And I think it's really good. And we'll talk about it when we get there. But it's just the idea that that all of life is negotiating. And so this book is titled Never Split the Difference, Negotiating negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. Uh, And I think that's a great title. I mean, this idea that like when we negotiate and oftentimes in reselling, we think of negotiating as just as like a bargaining for a price. But there's so much more involved uh, in communications and just relationships that you're building where
0: negotiating comes in. So uh, I'm really excited about this one. I agree. And of all the books, listen to all our level up reviews. Yeah. But if there's one, I truly recommend Not just because, you know, you end up having to buy the hardcover. Well, you don't have to, you can get the Kindle, but it's the same price. I don't like that. Was it the but same? price? It was like 18 something for the Kindle mm-hmm. and it's hard and the paperback, there was no prime. So yeah, you're kind of stuck, but this is a book I strongly, strongly recommend you read. Right, the other books, yeah, they're good to read. They are. I recommend read all of them, but this one definitely a must read. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this uh, came
1: out two thousand sixteen, so uh, it's relatively recent. One of the things I like about, I, you can kind of see a shift in, I guess, what you would say like the self help books are, uh, because in the past it was just like the guru who they were famous for teaching strategies, mm-hmm. but their expertise, like maybe they had some experience in in business or, or marketing or something, but it was almost just all like, you know, I felt like really easy to digest stuff. Whereas now I feel like a lot of the books that are coming out that are reaching those top levels are, they provide both the practical, like how the everyday person can use this, how it applies, how a businessman can use this and that kind of stuff. But it's also coming from somebody with like really, really unique experience in life. That's like, they add that to the book. So like, for instance, um, Jocko Willings has the, you know, what is it, the extreme ownership and he was a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you're getting stories of things that it's like, how does this relate? How does this war, even the, what we read with the make your bed, right? You get an admiral who is a Navy SEAL and you're talking about like things. It's like, how does that this crazy thing that's happening in Iraq or Afghanistan or, you know, how does that relate to everyday life? But then it shows that it does. And, and oftentimes it's the extreme it's the extremes that people go to in life and it's things like war or things like the really intense things that bring out uh, the the aspects of humanity that we deal with on an everyday basis, but you don't really notice because it's not elevated to that level.
0: Correct. And it's, what's awesome is they, all these books, especially the one we're going to read today, it just, again, it's, it reiterates the fact that we're all human. Right? So... Whether you're on a counterterrorism team, yep. stopping a multi-level, you know, bomb that's going to go off, or you're negotiating with your kids to go to bed, yep. the same elements apply. Which was kind of mind blowing, but I I knew that. Yeah. But Chris Voss does a great job of breaking that down. So why don't we get into the book? Let's do it. All right. So much.
1: Yeah. So Chris Voss is, um, you know, without going into the, all the detail of, of his background, uh, but just going to give you an idea, he. Uh, starts the book by saying for the last two decades, he's been on the FBI um, negotiating team, uh, dealing with terrorists, dealing with uh, kidnappings, and trying to negotiate hostage releases, these really, really high intense pressure issues. And then the book starts off with this kind of interesting thing, and I I wasn't 100%
0: sure where it was going. Wait, but before we start, let's just talk about how this book starts. That's what I was doing. (laughs) No, 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 but but I wanted to, take a step backwards there's no prelude there's no intro there's no acknowledgement it's like boom chapter one yeah which to me speaks tons of value yeah right no nonsense like we're getting to the truth asap yeah that's what i wanted to share is that like what that. you wanted to share no yeah that's good that's true okay <laughs> that because i was like you know how you get a book and you're like okay i can skip this page the acknowledgement, the introduction can, yeah all and, this and
1: another foreword, and yeah yeah
0: and I opened it, I'm like, oh, chapter one. It starts, yeah. Let's start. All right, go ahead. Sorry. I just need to interject on that one.
1: No, that's good. So and in fact, the way he starts too is it's 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 a good hook. It's one of the things that gets the reader like really thinking about it. And he talks about all of the experience that he's had in negotiating hostages. But then it says this. He goes, But I've never experienced a hostage situ- situation so intense, so personal. We've got your son, Voss. Give us a million dollars or he dies. Pause. Blink. Mindfully urge the heart rate back to normal. Right. So it's like, wait, what's going on here? And it says, you see the people across the table, my negotiating counterparts were Harvard Law School negotiating professors. Right. And so <laughs> it's like, whoa, what is, it? what went down? Yeah. <laughs> we call this, we call this um, in, in the literary world, in, in media rest, like you're starting in the middle of action. And it's like, as soon as he sits down, it's like, we've got your son, you owe us a million dollars, like give us a million dollars. And you kind of assume, like, okay, is this like a real thing? And then when he says, uh, the first thing I thought in my mind when he says these were Harvard professors, I was thinking, okay, so maybe this was like negotiating, like getting his son into college or what. But then the story that gets told is, is even more interesting because there's this interesting uh, dichotomy that's presented here of real life experience and knowledge in the field of negotiating versus kind of the intellectual theories behind negotiating, and these two kind of clash right here in the first chapter, when he as an experienced negotiator is invited to a program and invited to talk to these Harvard professors, who that's what they teach is how to negotiate, understanding human psychology and understanding all those things. And the initial thing was he was like flabbergasted, he wasn't expecting this to, to happen
0: right away. Did that surprise you a little bit, that there was a school of negotiation? Like, was that a known thing for you?
1: I mean, I didn't know that going into it, but I wasn't super surprised, um, given that it makes sense that if you've got these types of jobs, I mean, you, you think of FBI, you think of, you know, every police department is going to have people who need to understand criminal psychology. They need to understand <clears throat> these different elements. And and so it would make sense that prestigious schools would have programs that would be leading the, the best and brightest into those fields.
0: Okay. So... It didn't, I was kind of like you, it didn't surprise me, but it always is a reminder of how much we don't know. That's true. Right? In the sense that I remember finishing my undergrad and then I went to my master's and I kind of thought master your your master's program was just, you just do a lot of work to get a degree. And then you jump into a master, master's program, those of you who have done your master's or even if you gone to college, you realize, at least I did, I realized how much of an idiot I was. Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, Socrates talks about that, how you You get to a place where you think you know, and then you reach another level of knowledge, and then you really recognize how absent your you know extensive knowledge base is,
1: yeah. and it, it kind of goes that back to that dunning- Kruger effect, I think that's how it's pronounced. but the the almost this bell curve of when people, but it's like an inverse bell curve. If you were to say like the amount of experience on the bottom and then along the 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 horizontal uh, line is how much knowledge that person thinks they have. So like when somebody first starts something, they often feel like they're very experienced. And then as they get more and more and more experienced, what they would rate themselves, it goes less and less because they realize how much they don't know. And it isn't until you get to like the furthest levels that you start to realize, like, okay, now I'm starting to know again, right? So people who are experienced like 20 years in a field will rate themselves about the same knowledge in that field as people starting off like one year in that field, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of obnoxious yes. to think that that we can be so proud, you know, to think like, I know all this stuff. But yeah, it's true. And he he kind of talks about that. And it was I think what's funny is he immediately stumps them. Right. Like and I think this is the perfect example. Like they know now on an intellectual level how negotiation works. They know on an intellectual level, like how, yeah, how
0: textbook, They yeah, know, textbook, They know,
1: the textbook. And and he doesn't say that they're wrong. He does mention like like he's able to out out defeat them and they work together and and he pulls good things from them. But he simply says, "Like we've got your son, and he uses this really simple technique. And the first technique he uses is is he just asks open-ended questions. Um, so
0: he, the first one was... I'm looking at Mike's book. We highlight the same thing. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Like pretty, pretty close.
1: We always do. I, I think our our minds are pretty locked on on how we read. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, I just think it's kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of like our interview of Primetime Treasure Hunter.
1: Oh, yeah. If you haven't watched that, man. That was like a weird that was, game show thing. Maybe that that's why the podcast works. <laughs> I guess <laughs> or so. Or at least
0: kind of works. All right, what are you going to say?
1: So it says this, I'm sorry, Robert. How do I even know he's alive? I said using an apology and his first name, seeding more warmth into the interaction in order to complicate his gambit to bulldoze me. And then um, it says this, I was employing what had become one of the FBI's most potent negotiating tools. The open-ended question. Is that something you ever use when you're
0: doing negotiate? And okay. So, how? so this is, this is, This takes me back to a couple of things. So back in the day, you know, you'd watch these, these cop shows or these movies. Right. And it's always like good cop, bad cop. Right. And it's just like, you better tell us who you're going to go, you know, to Mm -hmm. the clink or whatever. And it's super intense. Never goes like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and that was like eighties, nineties shows and movies. Then you watch like in the two thousands, it's kind of nuanced. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's that show, the negotiator that was on TNT and there's, uh, there's that movie of Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson. that came out, I think, late 90s. I forget what that was called. Anyways, on all those, there's more of this, more of the open-ended. And it, anyways, we'll talk about this because he later talks about the history of the FBI and how they change mm-hmm. negotiations. But you kind of see that. And so I trace that, too, because, and again, I was never in law enforcement, but I had my short stint in loss prevention. Mm-hmm. And I remember... One of the first things we were taught was, well, there's two things we were taught. One was the person has to feel that you know everything before you ever walk into the room. They have to have this feeling that all they're doing is just verifying what you already know. So you have to play that game pretty well. The other one was that you had to make them believe you were on their team, mm. that you understood why they were doing what they were doing, that, hey, I'm with you. You know, you're going through tough times. We just want to help you out. We want to make things easier, blah, blah, blah. So, we, you know, so the question would be like, it wouldn't start off with like, Hey, why'd you steal this money? Right. It would start with, so tell me, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, what, what, what's been happening? It's kind of your, And we'll talk about this later, tactical empathy. I feel like we're jumping all over the place. Yeah. I, I'm jumping all over the place, but there's so much good stuff. But when he says, he talks about seeding more warmth, into the interaction in order to complicate his gambit to bulldoze me. It's very true in every situation, whether you're at a garage sale, right? You're about to haggle with someone, whether you're trying to, you know, make a deal with a wholesaler, wh- whatever it is, people have their walls up, mm-hmm. right? Because automatically everyone knows you're trying to break that wall, right. right? To get that better deal. Right. And it's the same thing here. So I related to this because I, I've been in this scenario where somebody had given me an ultimatum and my personality is not to automatically ask a question is I put a wall up Mm. they end up nowhere. So if I was Chris Voss here, you know, and this was the real scenario, I'd be in a mess. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what you're asking, but
1: no, that's good. And I I think too, like he, he makes the point of like, even his tone when he's saying this, like he had to like, even though he knew this was a practice negotiation, he still's got to fill in the hot seat. Like mm-hmm. I, I I just had a uh, an observation the other day at school and, and you know, then you get asked like, how do you think it went, right? The administrator
0: in and watched you teach. Yeah, and, yeah. You say, okay. and
1: so uh, and then afterwards they asked me that question and like in those moments you kinda of have to calm yourself down and like think clearly because it's easy to like, you know, see into things that you don't, you know, necessarily need to. And 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 part of what he says is like when you respond or you ask these open-ended questions to ask them in a tone of voice that kind of de-escalates an issue um open-ended questions are our double-edged sword they can do that or they can put up more walls right i remember one my wife and i i love our relationship we have like i feel like an atypical marriage like we we don't fight very much we don't have we don't have major issues like we it's it's an amazing relationship but well, one of the things when we first got married that we worked on and she'll talk about it too uh but she would ask questions instead of just telling me like hey can, can you clean up or please clean up the the mess you made the question she would ask is, is there a reason you left that on the counter? And like that always got under my skin because it was like... just the way, But notice the way you said it too. Yeah. Right. It wasn't
0: just the question. It's the inflection. The
1: inflection. Yeah. And that, and that's what I mean is so you can ask the open-ended question and, and it can go both ways. And I try and use this with my students a lot. Like if I notice my students are off task, they're not doing something right or they've if they've done something really wrong and I, I pull them up to the room, the front of the room and I, I ask them a question like I'm trying to figure it out. What's going on? Instead of just yelling at them and saying like, Hey, you're not doing your work. You need to do your work. I try to be calm and nice and say like, "Hey, so, so, what are you working on? And and is there is there a reason you're doing that instead of doing this other thing? And are are you trying your best? And like asking these questions where instead of just saying you're not doing what you're supposed to do, it's like, are you are you are you really doing your best in the class? And then you force them. And I like what he says
0: here. He says, um, uh, Can I jump in? I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, go for it. So there's a motive behind the question. It's not just to kind of bring that wall down. It's more than that, right? He says, if you go down to page three at the very bottom, after he talks about why his group is called the Black Swan Group, he says it buys you time. That's one, right? So the onus is on that individual to figure things out as you're trying to be two steps ahead. Uh Then he says it gives your counterpart the illusion of control. Yep. Right, key illusion of control. They are the one with the answers and power, after all. That's the illusion. Yep. And it says this too. It says queries that the other side can respond
1: to, but that have no fixed answer, right? Like, don't give them the opportunity to do a yes and no, mm-hmm. right? Because if you offer a yes or no, you're you're in you're in trouble, right? Because then they're just going to say the no, and then you're now you're stuck having to respond again. But if you give them a, an open-ended question where there's not a yes or no, and they have to think more deeply like are you like what could you do to do better on this project right like a question I might ask a student so instead of this them just being able to say yes or no it's like they now have to think like well I guess I could be doing this and it's like well you know what is what's keeping you from doing that right like and so like you force them to actually reflect and think and then yeah it buys you you time to like process it forces them to think about it reflect on their own, situations and then in a case like this it actually is serving to frustrate the other person right which is what he's wanting to do like he wants to frustrate the person he's negotiating with in this instance um because it takes the power away from them right like even when we talked about like with like the bullies right like when you could take that power away from them and now they're solving your problem like how, how how do you want me to come up with this million dollars right and it's like well, you, you figure it out I'm like well is there like I mean, if I don't know that my kid's alive, how can I How can I figure it out, right? Like, what, what? What? what should I do? And you're making them try to figure it out and it frustrates them.
0: Now, we'll talk about this later in the book, but he does talk about your different voices, right? So you have to play to the right voice, right? Because if you ask it a certain way and open in the question, it can seem, like we said earlier, like it got under your skin, right? That it can do that. If you ask it another way, it can be seen as not being serious. If you ask it another way, it could just blow everything up. So we'll talk about that. But key thing to remember from what Chris Voss is saying is that open-ended questions is one of the easiest ways to slow things down and to get to a place where the power is no longer on that individual. Yep. And then when he's reflecting on this, too,
1: because he even had to ask, like,
0: how does this relate
1: to the real world? And he makes this comment It says, it turned out that our approach, talking about the FBI, to negotiation... Held the keys to unlock profitable human interactions in every domain and in every interaction and every relationship in life. This book is how it works. Boom! Yeah, Pieces of the book. That's a big claim, right? Like that—that—that—that's that, what like it's going to do. Ten
0: X claim. Ten X will fix everything. Remember? Yeah, but I mean, you know, if we—no, <laughs> this is a little different. A little different for sure. Yeah, a lot different.
1: All right. So then that leads to the part where now he wonders, like, is this just a fluke? And so now he actually takes a class with. What he says are some of the, the nation's best and brightest who've gone through programs and schoolings on this. And he kind of ended up d- being a negotiator. He didn't go through schooling programs to get there. So now he's in a room with all of these professional,
0: basically academic elites who uh, learned this. Let's rest there a little bit, though. So this is something that I think we all need to understand context on, whether it's in reselling, whatever we're doing, is that sometimes we, we believe that people are at our same level. I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe I, maybe it's just me, but you know, we approach certain people in life and we think they're not any different than we are. And I would say even right now in our current society, it's very clear that everyone is always equal at all times, right? Whether it's in intellect, whether it's in, 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 you know, what they know, right? Everybody has the same equal access to knowledge. So we make assumptions that everybody knows the same. I don't know if that makes sense. So I'm looking at this and I, and, and and hopefully I can come clear of what I'm saying here. He, he says, he is filled with brilliant Harvard students getting law and business degrees and hotshot students from other top Boston universities like the Massachusetts Institute of Technology that's MIT and Tufts. And I'm looking at this and going, okay, so let's say you're an individual that didn't go to any schooling, right? And you're a pretty brilliant person right? You know your stuff, right? And you're moving up and you're building your business. Let's say you go from reselling to real estate, or let's say you've built an Amazon empire, whatever it may be, right? So you've done pretty well for yourself. So there could be this illusion that you can handle any situation with anyone without proper, you know, preparedness, whatever term you want to use. But you have to understand there are individuals that you will work with that they know they're closing that deal with you, and you don't even know it, does that make sense?
1: Mm, yeah, I, I think, like going along, and maybe let me know if i'm I'm yeah understanding this correctly. um I kind of feel like you're saying like it's easy for us to think that that we're equal, which could actually be a detriment when we're dealing with others, correct, but, but it might be more beneficial to kind of assume that other people are more experienced or more knowledgeable than you because then that gets you more. Focused on what's happening. Like these people around me are and he goes into the situation knowing that. Like he goes into the situation thinking, these are really smart, brilliant people. And so he's he's nervous, but he's also like prepared and he's thinking, okay, how how will my experience test out? And I do think it's it's probably a good piece of advice is is never assume you're the smartest person in the room. In fact, assume that everybody else is smarter than you are. Never assume that you're the most um, you know, the hardest worker even if you are, but if you, if you assume that you might make yourself look like a fool. Right. Well, and that's
0: why he says the smartest dumb guy in the room. Yep. Right. And that, that's exactly it. Cause here's what happens when you see yourself as the underdog. Uh, my experience has been, I'm more careful in everything that I do. When I walk into a room, <laughs> this has never happened by the way. Okay. It has, but and you think, you know, more than everyone in that room, you end up you know, you can end up in a really bad place because you will automatically, people will will figure it out really quick what you don't know and what you do know. Right. And so it's always wise to see yourself as, This is my experience and this is what Ross is saying is that he came in believing he, he knew, he knew what he was doing, but he didn't know all the logic and all the science and everything behind it. He just knew that his experience had taught him something. So he walked into that room, And that, I think, was his advantage, Mm. right? Where everybody else in that room, right, thought they knew better because they had gone to these top tier schools. They had done all the work. They had, you know, here comes Chris Voss and he meets with this guy, Andy, right? Mm -hmm. And Andy, he says, uh, what does he say here about Andy? He says, he and I went into an empty classroom overlooking one of those English style squares on Harvard's campus. And we each used the tools we had. Andy would throw out an offer and and give a rationally airtight explanation for why it was a good one. An inescapable logic track and a trap. And I'd answer with some variation of, How am I supposed to do that? Right. And before that, he says, my counterpart, he's talking about Andy again, was one of those guys who wear their intellectual superiority like they wear their khakis with relaxed confidence.
1: Yeah. So this guy, this guy knew his stuff. Um, but-, but he had an air about it too. Yeah. yeah. and, and- so th- what set up this situation is the very first like interaction he has is this challenge. Okay, so one of you guys, one one of you will be uh, the person buying. One of you will be the person selling. Uh, you have a fixed price that you can't go below. Try and get as much money out of them. So it's basically just like a role playing of a business deal, yeah, closing right? a deal. Yeah. And and so in this interaction, this person is really smart, really wise, using all these logic traps. Going back to that first thing of asking the open-ended question, he just kept asking the same questions over and over to the point where it caused... Uh, I don't want to just say frustration because th- that doesn't sound good in business. You don't want to just frustrate the person you're negotiating with. But it makes them realize that that th- they're not going to be able to move on on you on that. Like y- They have to solve your problems for you or if they want to close the deal. Uh, and so in this situation, he ends up getting the lowest price out of everybody in the room Nobody else was able to negotiate a lower price, and everybody was stunned. And it happened multiple time, time and time again.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> anybody does see that he says they get worn out entering and give me everything I want, right? So he's not no splitting the difference. Yep.
1: And he's being patient, right? He's taking his time and he's not in a rush to get the deal, and he'll he'll take the time it takes to get it, and and it works out.
0: But it's it's it applies to you know we talk about this a very basic level, right? Even at garage sales, right? You, when you go in, we always say, be patient, don't give the first number. Right. And then after that, ask questions. Right. And, and, you know, the more questions you ask, eventually the person is like, you know what, I really, you know, I really don't want it. You're here. You know, I'll give it to you for this price. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's happened multiple times to you. Right. It's happened multiple times to me. Or, or even when, you know, I try to negotiate at places that, normally you wouldn't negotiate whether it's a retail store. I've done I've I've haggled at retail stores to get retail prices down, which is kind of weird. But I heard somebody do it one time and I thought, I'll try this out. And you know, you get the nose, mm-hmm. probably 99% of the time, but there's always that one person, right? But you have to understand you ask those questions and people and, and we'll talk about mirroring a little bit. They get to a place they're like, you know what? Why not?
1: Yeah. And, and I even think about this with interviews, right? Like when when you're in an interview for a job, right? Asking these open-ended questions back to the interviewer is a good strategy, right? And saying mm-hmm. things like, "What you know, uh, you even mentioned this to me at one point. Like, is is there anything that I've said that causes you to to worry, right? About oh no, my number man. one
0: question. I always advise people that I've you know helped get jobs is you always your last question that you always ask is, is there anything in this interview that I wasn't clear enough? What would cause you to hesitate in hiring me? Yeah,
1: and I use that when I when I was in my interview for this most recent job, and it was nice that one of the person that was interviewing me said like, "Um, "No, I think you articulated yourself really well." And and right, like so that's the their last thought is is them saying that right? Like yeah, you're hired. I've made them say that, you know. And so you know things like that, or or even you know asking simple questions like, "What is it that you love about working here?" Right. So then when you get them excited and they're talking, then. They're going to associate those positive feelings that they're having Mm -hmm. with the interview they're having with you, right? So asking those questions is a really beneficial thing. And then going back to 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 negotiating and what it looks like, um, he kind of talks about this is just part of human nature. He says um, even though we're not all animals, because he's talking about like you know that this kind of animal instinct. He says, but no matter how we dress up our negotiations in mathematical theories, we are always an animal, always acting and reflecting first and foremost from our deeply held but mostly invisible and inco... um, What
0: is that word? Oh, uh, well, I'm trying to... Invisible... Oh, you know what? Just keep going. Do we? You're the English, I'm the right? English guy, so I you don't know. English, inco-hit fears... I just read it needs, in its context. And me too. I, I, didn't even, I highlighted this. Do you, do you want me to go to dictionary.com? I'm going to look it up right now. No, anyways, I'll, I'll look it up. I, you share your point. Share your point. So,
1: yeah, I mean, this idea that we are all... Um, that it's part of, of our nature, right? Like part of our nature is we've got these desires that we want. And so when you recognize that when you're trying to get something, the person you're negotiating with, there's something they want too. And so when you're both dealing with this back and forth, if you can understand what their basic needs are that they're looking for and what your needs are, then you can better find the way to meet your needs, meet their needs and not necessarily split the difference, but get
0: everything that you need. Agreed. And the Wi-Fi is not working. Oh no. Oh, it's okay. So, but but I think what it means is innate, innate, right? We have these fears. If you are reading its context, those of you that are reading along with the book, we don't want to bore you guys that point, but, but here's the deal. It relates also to later on because here's the other thing. We're not robots. Right. And so what I like, what Voss does here is that he's very clear that similar to animals. So, you know, all humans is that we don't function in a very prescribed way. There are certain things that are, and that's why he's able to write a book and say, hey, this is how negotiation works. But he's also very clear that it doesn't work that way exactly every time. All right? But before I, we talk about that, talk to us. What does the word I-N-T-H-O-A-T-E mean? All right. Inchoate, which means
1: just begun and so not fully formed or developed. Rudimentary.
0: All right. So our rudimentary fears. There we go. There we go. Thank you, guys. We all learned. We also learned vocabulary on our pre podcast. That's right. Yeah. Even those of us that have had master's degrees.
1: Yeah. Well, and the real question Isn't is- Isn't that sad? The real question is, do, did we already really know that and we were just pretending like we didn't so that we could get some negotiating skills? Keep watching and find out.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I will say this. Can, I, can I, I want to give advice to our younger audience that is considering going getting a master's. If you're going to get a master's, you're going to have to take this test called the GRE that is going to test your vocabulary intensively. If you're not reading books, that English part of the test will destroy you. So make sure you read a lot of books. That is my PSA for today. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So going back to human nature, I like what he says. Later on, a few paragraphs he says, but in the real world, negotiation is far too unpredictable and complex for that. You may have to do A, then D, and then maybe Q.
1: Yeah, and so basically saying you can't follow the a, do A B C D and then you'll get X, but he's saying you might have to do A B and then switch to something else. And and we talk about that a lot on the show, being willing to adapt, change, and not being set in a, a specific understanding. And when we realize, I, I love psychology. I think that there's so much we can learn about you know the way the human mind works, and that we could use those things for advantage. But then the other thing we realize is people aren't machines, and so just because something is logical. Doesn't mean it's going to always work out the way you think it is because people have emotions and other things that get involved, and you have to learn how to to deal with that. and And especially when you're dealing with things like he's talking about, like he, he makes this comedy says, after all, kidnappers are just businessmen trying to get the best price.
0: Right? Isn't that crazy? That wait, let's let's pause there. I read that and I go, he is so right. Yeah. It's hard to see that, but he is so
1: right. Yeah. And so these 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 kidnappers, you know, they're they're not logical. Like they are they're often deranged they often have you know crazy things going on so you can't necessarily think that what applies to somebody with the uh, a traditional normal healthy healthy brain with emotions and and fitting into society a certain way that that a person who is you know willing to kidnap and do all these other awful things that all of those same things will apply but what he's teaching in this book is that you can actually have a certain set of skills that you can use in different ways that will work for that person in the same way as a business person, because in the underlying thing is that there's still a businessman trying to get a price. There's still something they want. And if you can understand what it is, the person you're negotiating with wants, now you have a, a position of power that you can
0: use. Yeah. So let me read that the line that follows that one more time because you do in order to fully understand and go, you know what, this book really relates to me. I think this is super important when he says, What is the difference between bank robbers who took hostages and CEOs who use hardball tactics to drive down the price of a billion dollar acquisition? And then you're lying after all, kidnappers are just businessmen trying to get the best price. If you're able to understand that this book will mean a whole lot more to you, right? Because it's very easy to get into a book like this and go, well, this doesn't really relate to me, but if you're able to equivocate bank robbers or CEOs, and some people might. Yeah. Well,
1: if you've ever <laughs> you're dealt, you're in a good place. If you've ever dealt with a two year old, right? Like, I, I realize that too. Like when you're, you know, when you're negotiating with a kid and you want them to do something, you know, you're at a place where, you know, I, I've seen parents who who will give their kid a lot of of leeway and basically let the kid do whatever they want. But that isn't always the healthy thing for the kid, right? And so you have to give the kid the illusion, just like I talked in here, like an open ended question that they have the choices between things while ultimately steering them towards the thing that's best for them. Right. So you're steering them, you're negotiating, you're getting what you want, which is my child needs to eat the food they need to eat so that they don't starve or they need to go to bed so they can or they need to take this medicine so they don't die or whatever it is. And oftentimes kids will throw fits and have and you have to find a way to help a child move and make them think that they've come to that conclusion themselves. Right, that they have some choice, and so it's
0: like Inception,
1: yeah, right. Like you are you're negotiating <laughs> negotiating with a toddler is, I would imagine, in some ways like negotiating with a terrorist, right? Like these are like extreme emotions and just think going crazy. It, I think you can
0: feel that way, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> for sure. But um, but the, that's the point. Is like if you can understand how it works in the extremes, the the all of those elements that are highlighted, all the skills that are need to be refined and honed to their to their their most extreme form then can apply to the areas where it's not as extreme but you see like oh i see what's happening here right like this person needs to be talked to this way this person wants this and this is how i'm going to help make sure that we get there using this technique and this technique
0: Mm -hmm. agreed now here's the other thing which i thought was super important so then he gets into a little bit of like psychological studies and it, it's pretty awesome reading the history. So, you know, I've heard about some of these incidents. I was alive when the Koresh thing happened with, you know, the Branch Davidians and you know, all that. And uh, I, Ruby Ridge, I, I know about cause I watched the movies and, and I go, you don't realize, I guess you don't realize how much goes into reflection in an organization like the FBI when bad things happen. Mm. You know that it does, but you don't really know, Yeah. right? And so what I liked is he he goes through this, you know, kind of history, right? He, he titles it at the FBI gets emotional, but this was super important for me to understand because I will say, you know, in another lifetime, I very much couldn't understand people that got emotional mm. about things. I, you know, I, yeah, I'm a very emotionally driven person, but I'm also able to shut it off with, like really quick, mm. really quick. And, but still it doesn't mean the emotion's gone. Right. And he says that he says he's talking about different systems. He's system one, right. Is more of your emotions. Right. And system two is your logic. Yeah. And this is, um, it's uh, not him, but it's, yeah, it's Kahneman came
1: up with an idea, uh, a bestseller book called thinking fast and slow. And those are the the systems that come out of it. One of them is, the quick reaction that you have through emotions at system one. And then the second one is the more rational logic part portion of that. And oftentimes it's that first one that kind of influences and yeah, informs what you're doing in the second one, which is the one that. that you should be making decisions
0: in. So that means pretty much all decisions have some kind of emotion.
1: Yeah. And, and, but, but that's, if you know that and you understand that, what's nice about that is like, he he makes the comment here. If you can, if you realize that, if you can control somebody's emotional feelings or their thoughts about it, then you can control the way they think about it logically, right? So if you can if you can attack that portion, of course coming at somebody with logic and reason is important, but people are so focused on the way they feel about something that that's a lot of times where you have to address first. Is their their emotional feelings about it? If you can control that, then they will be open to a logical argument.
0: Oh, and I think now more than ever It's more about how, you know, you always hear it. Everyone says, well, this is how I feel about this. No one says, this is what I know about this. I mean, just think about the terms of vocabulary in our society, right? And this isn't anything. This could mean, we're not going to get into it, but this could mean in politics, this could mean in religion, this could mean in business, this could mean in sports. Generally, you don't hear people saying, this is what I know. You hear people saying, this is what I feel. Yeah. We wanted to take a quick
1: moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Or at least that's, you understand that that's where their argument is coming from. Um, and But
0: knowing that it's huge in every aspect of your life. And even when you're raising kids, I would say that's even bigger because even though they may say, I know, it's actually what they feel. Yeah.
1: And, and it might be something that they know, but even what you know, because when when you look and and again we're not going to talk about specific politics but when you look at politics typically you're looking at people who are seeing the exact same facts right the the fact mm-hmm. is the exact same but the way those facts are interpreted are often determined by a person's past experiences their emotions on it what their perceived outcomes could be under different situations so it's not that like one side has facts and the other side doesn't have the facts but it's how what is done with those right mm-hmm. and and that's where it kind of comes in and and here it says um, that that guy, Kahneman, uh, proved that humans all suffer from cognitive bias that is unconscious and irrational, brain processes that literally distort the way we see the world. Uh, and then there was a, one example of that. One of them is called the framing effect, which is depending on how you frame a question or something uh, to that effect, uh, a scenario, you're going to get different responses. So, for instance, if you give somebody the opportunity, of moving from 90% to 100%, there's a high probability certain that they'll do it. Whereas if you tell them they can move from 45 to 55, even though that's exactly the same amount of percentage growth, they're less likely to do it because it was framed of like, oh, well, it's still not great, right? Like if you could say you could get 10% extra, if go from 90 to 100, that's great. But 45 to 55, it's like, eh, yeah. you know? So the way you frame, and that just goes to show, that's an example, that how you frame a question or present something can lead somebody to react differently.
0: Oh, <laughs> all the time. I mean, questions are powerful, but you have to hone those questions. Yeah. You can't just ask questions. because You know, we've talked about this before, but again, you're, you're trying to guide. You're not necessarily, you know, you do the open-ended question, but you got to be careful. Now, I thought it was really interesting, the history breakdown in the sense that, you know, the next part he talks about how, I didn't know this. So I'm thinking when I'm reading this part of the book. So when you guys, uh, I have one we, more
1: real quick. Oh, one in, more that's point. Fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry.
0: Okay. I just wanted to mention too. this. I was going to talk about Chuck Norris for a moment. Right. Okay.
1: Um, we'll get to Chuck Norris. Right. Um, so going back to real quick, before we move on from Kahneman, he made this comment or uh, another idea, which was loss aversion, which shows how people are statistically more likely to act to avert a loss than to achieve an equal amount of gain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So just think about that too. Like people will, will act more, if they think they're going to lose something than if they think they can gain that same amount. So if somebody's going to lose $10 versus gain $10, they're more likely to act if it's preventing the loss. And so just thinking, how can we use that in our negotiations? How can you use that when you're dealing with somebody?
0: But it's even entrepreneurial life. You know what I mean? That, that I think that separates those that level up or scale up in their reselling to those that don't. Right. And again, I always say this. I always question whether I'm an entrepreneur. Right. Because there's parts of me that would rather not lose that 10 and there's others that are entrepreneurs through and through and like, I'm going to throw everything I can to make that 20. Right. And we both might end up at the same place. Right. Which is kind of interesting. So it's just something that, definitely something to think about. Yeah. So, all right. all right, Chuck Norris. No, not Chuck Norris. Okay. So I, it's kind of interesting because I, one of the books I do want to read in a level up review is, uh, the book by Carnegie, Influ- uh, How to Influence, How to Win Friends. Yeah, Win Friends and Influence and- People. Yeah, there you go. That one. I <laughs> can't even remember the name right I think right that's now. what
1: it is, How to Win Friends and Influence People.
0: Yeah, or somebody. Like- it's a very powerful book. And it's definitely a book we're going to be reading down the road. But, you know, the truths from that book are still true today, yeah. right? That was early 1900s. And I would say most of the big time. You know business individuals we'll say that was one of the most influential books that they had, yeah, right?
1: Have you read that book um i've I want to say I started it at one point, but I ended up reading other stuff, so I don't think I've ever read it cover to cover, um but it was one of those books that I know I've heard so much about, and I definitely want to
0: want to read it at some point no, and and that's the thing. so the reason I bring that up, let me get close to the mic here. The reason I bring that up is because sometimes. I think we get the sense that everything is already set in stone that there isn't anything new to be said about a topic. Right. And what I love what Voss does in this next part of the chapter is that he breaks down why what he's saying now is far better than what was being said 50 years ago. Mm. Right. Cause he, he talks about, it. it's kind of crazy. Like I don't, I, I couldn't, you know, I knew about these incidents, but I didn't know that they impacted negotiation techniques. Right. So he breaks down what happened. So he pr- talks about like back in the day, you know, before Nixon, before President Nixon. So in the 70s, you know, late 60s, 70s, that was pretty much <laughs> with 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 kidnappings and and terrorists. It was like knockdown shootout. Yeah. Like you you, you know, no part, yeah, right? Yeah. And and if you've seen that mo- movie Munich, it's a very tragic story, right about all the individuals that were killed. And then there's another scenario about, a, a he talks about in Attica where 39 people are killed. And and then he talks about that there is a situation, I think it was like in 1981 mm-hmm. at an airport and like all these people, there's a shootout again. Yeah. And, and the and FBI, and,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And the FBI, the FBI through all this is going, whoa, this is getting way out of hand. There has to be a better way of doing this, mm-hmm. right? And hardly ever now, I mean, we do have, we have had a lot of shootings in the last few years, but you don't hear necessarily about airplanes getting high you know, outside of nine eleven. post nine eleven, you don't hear airplanes getting hijacked, negotiators showing up. I mean, obviously, the news doesn't play everything out, right? Right. But it, it's not the same. And I, I think he talks about that pretty much the FBI, after all these terrible tragedies, didn't 100% figure things out, but figured things out to a point that the loss is very minimal in comparison to what the deal with.
1: And that's a hard thing to do. Like I if you if that's your profession, if you've been in the FBI, if you've been in the military, if you're like me, a teacher, and you're you have a certain way of doing things and all of a sudden that way gets questioned, right? Even if you know it doesn't always work, for as many times as it doesn't work, there's also gonna be times where it does work. And it's like, well, I could try your new way, but like what I do works, you know? And so for somebody like Chris Voss to be willing to say, like, okay, step back. Let's learn these new techniques. That's a hard thing to do. And sometimes mm-hmm. people push back against that. But I think that says a lot that that there was that adapting period and it worked right. Like mm-hmm. that says something. And so now what we're learning from this are techniques that are, are are tried and proven. And the time that he spent and others spent from the FBI in the Harvard classes and they're going through these classes helped refine it even more. Right. So it's grown from them. So they took what they knew, like street smarts. This works and book smarts to like, how do we make this the best it can be? And so what we have now is probably the most polished version. And can it get better? Maybe, maybe it does get better over time and and more negotiating. But yeah, it does seem like the level of negotiating skills has increased so much um, that as I'm reading through, um, you know, other chapters, and it's like explaining ways you could talk to people. I'm like, holy cow, like that, that would totally work in like a situation with an upset parent, or that would totally work when I'm dealing with a, a, a person that I'm trying to buy something from. Or,
0: or dealing with Rolando on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. So we're just letting we're laying down a lot of the groundwork. So we haven't gotten into the practical, practical. I think we've talked about some practical things you could already apply. But here to me, and he says it himself, is the number one, I, I want to say is the number one takeaway from this book when he says, While the Ivy League taught math and economics, we became experts in empathy and our way worked. Mm. Empathy. Like, do you, I don't think about empathy when I think about the FBI. I don't think about empathy when dealing with terrorists. Right. right? I I don't, you know, now I understand it. Right. Right. Because, you know, we've all, through the brilliance of Hollywood or whatever has portrayed this, we get that most negotiations now there's a lot of understanding where a person came, came from and why they're doing what they're doing. And you're trying to make that human connection to get that individual, right. To not split the difference with you. But you know, he, he, what does he call it on there? Tactical empathy. Tactical empathy. Yeah, tactical empathy. And and he mentions too. He says by listening intensely,
1: a negotiator demonstrates empathy and shows a sincere desire to better understand what the other side is experiencing. And he goes on to say, contrary to popular opinion, listening is not a passive activity. It is m- the most active thing you can do. And that's true, right? Like I would say, ninety nine percent of the time when I'm in a conversation with somebody, you are only partially listening. I mean, you mm-hmm. might you're processing because you have a working memory. Like that's what, so your working memory can hold things for a little while. So like everybody's experienced this where somebody says something and you're not really listening to them. You're doing something else. And then they say like, you're not even listening. What did I say? But you can actually repeat like the last few words that they said, but
0: you're just thinking about the next thing you're going to say. But, but, but so
1: like your working memory will hold like a few words that, that somebody said like a sentence or two. And so you can actually repeat back oftentimes what somebody said, but if they wouldn't have made you repeat that back then, within 30 seconds, you wouldn't have known what they said because it's only in, in a working memory. And so, yeah, when you're in a conversation with somebody, oftentimes you are stuck in this place of like, they said this. OK, I've got this point. I've got this point. I've got this point, And you're missing things. And it's hard because you I can't tell you how many times like I know I hear somebody giving an argument and it's like, you know, again, not trying to be proud here, but it's like, OK, I know for a fact that what you're saying is wrong and I could logically prove that and like there's these facts. But the moment you start thinking of all those things and all of the, the ways you can counter their argument, you stop listening and they know it, right? Like when you're talking to somebody and they're not giving you their full attention and they're not actually listening, you can feel that. And yeah. so that...
0: And I just, you know, there's 94, ep- no, we're on episode 94, there's 93 episodes before this that you can see Mike and I do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, for sure. there's moments that we disagree and instead of listening to one another we're already ready in our mind we're getting ready to just debunk what the other person says well and, and part of the And you can notice it because there's this awkward pause as we're trying to regain our thoughts and go okay what did he just say yeah
1: right so anyways and i, I just did it right now right cuz i was trying to jump in and interrupt <laughs> you there
0: very, po- very possible <laughs> what a way to just demonstrate what boss is talking about but yeah. it happens it happens a lot
1: yeah and and it's not just in an argument right like a, like a Just right there, I think it was a good example. Like, I did that. Like, you're speaking, it made me think of something, and I wanted to say that thing I was thinking, and I didn't want to forget it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I want to jump in and say right that moment. And so, it's not always even when you're negotiating, like in an argument, but just having a conversation with somebody, it's easy to be thinking about what you want to say next. (laughs) And that was actually what I wanted to say. So, I wanted to interrupt you to say that it's easy to interrupt people. (laughs) That's (laughs) meta right there. No, that
0: is meta. But it's so true. I, I, you know, listening it's tough especially when you always feel like you have a solution it's really tough but let's let's move on a little bit here i like how he he phrases this he says the majority of the interactions we have at work and at home are negotiations that that boil down to the expression of a simple animalistic urge i want Mm. right everybody wants something right he says i want you to accept that million dollar contract i want you to pay twenty thousand dollars for that car I want you to give me a ten percent raise. I want you to go to sleep at nine p.m. It's so true. I never even thought of it that way. Because basically, you're. I guess life is a constant battle of I wants.
1: It really is. It really is. Like, and and part of that is. It's it's so brilliant that when you're negotiating, this idea of tactical empathy. The reason why it's such a strategy, is you are not giving up and conceding your I want, right? You are actually holding your I want as your number one primary goal. But in that process, you're not asserting that as your number one goal, but rather you're listening to them. You're listening to what they have to say. You're listening to their I want and you're trying to find ways to move their I want to meet your I want, right? And that is, that is brilliant, but it's hard because it's, I think the, the pendulum could swing the other way where you just become passive. Right Where he says, like listening is not a passive thing. You can't just simply say like okay, i'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to abdicate my role in this and I'm gonna just let you do your thing. But to be a good negotiator, you actually don't give that, but you listen. And I think a lot of people do just want to be heard.
0: hundred percent I can't I can't disagree on that. I was listening, though, just to let you know. So there's a pause because I, I had nothing more to add. okay. So talking about empathy, talking about I want to. You have one more? I have another thing to add, but it's on the next page. Okay. I, I didn't highlight what you highlighted.
1: Oh, I, I think this is a good one. Okay. Negotiation, as you'll learn it here, is nothing more than communication with results. I think that's a good definition of
0: thinking about negotiation is. Mm-hmm. It's just communication but with results. I agree. It, it's really, it, I don't know. I struggle trying to understand that. It, it is, right? I guess part of it is, You know, I will admit the stuff that he talks about, it's going to take work. It's going to take mental work. So even thinking about that, that every communication I have, I want to walk out with the result. Like I already know that, but being even more intentional about it, it's not going to be easy the first few go rounds, right? It's going to take some time to get there. Right. And, you know, I'll talk about my experience and and how I changed as a leader, uh, as an administrator, because (laughs) It took some time for me to understand how inflections work. And it's interesting because a lot of the things, and and I think a lot of you will relate. Some of the things he talks about here, you've already done. You just didn't know how to express it into words, right? Other things you're like, you know what? If I knew that I could have tweaked things a little more and been a little better off, right? So anyways, that's what I want to share about that. Okay. So this brought something to mind. On next page, he talks about, people that negotiate the wrong way. He says negotiation, negotiating does not mean browbeating or grinding someone down. And I, and it brought to mind, I I knew this, uh, I knew this individual that the only way this individual knew how to get things done was to browbeat, not, not, you know, not literally, but just verbally get in people's faces to get what they wanted. And, it, and with me too, and I'll talk about this later, but I'm a pit bull in a room. Like If I'm in a room and, you know, there's somebody that's coming after me, I struggle. And he's going to talk this about this later about having that late night DJ voice. Mm. I, I just do because I know I'm right. I'm going to make this right and I'm going to win every single time. But what you learn over time is that that attitude does not get you very far. It might get very far with those individuals that maybe are very uh, used to having an authoritarian home, Mm. right? Where they, they, you know, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And so they move into another place and it's a yes, sir mentality. And so, and if you don't, don't, don't do it. And that person lays into you, then it's easy to do the yes, sir. Like you have to go to, but I would say even right now of all times, I very much disagree that that gets anything done. At all, right? And and it's funny, I, you know, I guess we have to bring up Gary Vee in every episode, but <laughs> This is your uh, your, <laughs> my Gary, your your daily my, Gary Vee uh, fix. Well, he talked, you know, there's this talk that he gives and somebody had asked him, if you had a high performing individual who constantly high performs, but he's a cancer to the culture of your workplace, what do you do? And he said, fire them. And I think me and you can kind of relate to this. <laughs> we, we won't get into specifics, but it's 100% true, right? And, and if you are a person in leadership, and I'll say this because I've been in leadership, and, and there is that person that, hey, they may be closing deals. They may make things happen, but they're a complete jerk your other people that may bring in more than that one person can bring in an entire year will perform less because they see this cancer walking around, browbeating everybody, you get in everybody's face, and that's how they know how to do business. Where if you eliminated that individual from the workplace, you may find a lot more productivity happening from your other employees.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's great. I think, too, though... A lot of times when you're negotiating, you're not always in the position. So some, some of our listeners are are at that position yeah, where, I, yeah. where they're at the highest, where they can actually get rid of somebody. But more often than not, I feel like you have to deal with those type of people. Who, and and sometimes they're at your level. They're they're a coworker, a colleague, or sometimes they're your boss or somebody who's directly above you. And that makes it more difficult because then at that point, you then now have to figure out how do I negotiate with this person? And one of the things he says is the first step to achieving a mastery of daily de- negotiation is to get over your aversion to negotiation. You don't need to like it. You just need to understand that it's how the world works. And I think that's important to realize is he, I think he puts it really bluntly, like you can, you can be upset with it. You can be, think it's not fair. But the reality is the world is negotiating. It's, if you, if you want to interact and you want to get results, you are going to have to find a way to negotiate. And so if it's that pit bull or if it's that person who browbeats and puts people down, then you have to find a way to negotiate with that person and maybe the person you're negotiating with is a pushover but it's a different type of negotiating you have to do because you're actually not going to get results because they're not giving you the things you want because they roll over on something else you know so mm. th- the, how Great you deal point. with people is very different but you have to realize you can't be averse to negotiating a lot of people i think myself included my natural inc- inclination is to avoid conflict and so i i tend to Not push where I should push because I'm afraid I'm going to come off wrong or I'm going to upset somebody. But if I feel like if I had the skills to push without feeling like I'm pushing, right? To push Mm -hmm. but feel more like I'm leading or I'm coming alongside or I'm questioning not out of a place of because there's nobody likes that, right? Like when someone comes up to you and says, "Why are we doing it this way?" But if you can question correctly and and make it where it's like, "Man, I'm I'm on board with like our end goal. Like, so how does this thing that we're doing actually get us there? Like, can you help me understand that?" Then people are more willing to like. Have that conversation with you as opposed to simply, you know, shutting you down and think that you are that cancer in the culture. Because you can be the cancer as the person who complains, but avoids negotiating. Like that happens all the time in like in, uh, break rooms, right? Where people just complain, 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 and they're never willing to actually go to the boss and do the negotiating, but then they become a different type of cancer because all they do is complain, but they don't, they're, they're so averse to negotiating that nothing gets done.
0: Agreed. 100% agreed. And, and then he says it. You know, he says, after the line that I read earlier, he says, it simply means playing the emotional game that human society is set up for. In this world, you get what you ask for. You just you just have to ask correctly. Mm. So claim your prerogative to ask for what you think is right. It's good. Right. So whew, it, it's crazy because to me, when I think of this guy, like this is a guy I don't want to be alone in a room with. You know, like you're afraid he'll like Chuck Norris. You, is yeah, that the Chuck like, Norris uh, uh, reference. I mean, you, you know what I mean? Oh, you know what I did? What I, th- what made me think about is he had mentioned in the book how there was a state, there's this time in the U.S. that there was constant hijacking, and I kept thinking oh, of Delta right. Force. Oh, okay. So I totally lost my train of thought. But in case you were wondering where Chuck Norris is going to come in, you know what was weird about Delta Force, the I first one, it. you never watched it. Nope. Okay, so I tried watching it with my son. Chuck Norris, like nothing happens for the first half hour. Like Chuck Norris is the face of Delta Force, but he's not Delta Force Force in, like in the first 30 minutes. Hmm. Anyways, not that I, you know you know how we are. We're organic. We just like to throw out random things. Yeah, so if so. you can relate, let us know in the
1: comments below. Yeah, we're going to get more comments to say, Mike, I can't believe you haven't seen Delta Force.
0: <laughs> or it's going to be like, you guys are all over the place. That's my favorite one. That's
1: okay. We are sometimes. That's I love okay. our podcast. I'm yeah. good with it.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. So remember what he says, So. He says remember a hostage negotiator plays a unique role. He has to win. Yep. Right? And I love the way he puts it because it's it's not you're compromising, it's you're going to win. But it's not you're going to win by manhandling things or just you know being, you know, rushiding and just doing whatever you want. You're going to use empathy. Yep. And right? I think
1: this is where that title comes from of never split the difference because I think even when we talk a lot of times about negotiating, there's this Let them give a number. Then you give a lowball number knowing that you're going to potentially meet somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Right. And the argument he makes here. And and again, this is the extreme, right? Like when you're talking about negotiating for a VCR at a garage sale, it's very different than (laughs) the lives of people. But he says here, he says, um, you can't say to a bank robber, you you've taken four hostages. Let's split the difference. Give me two and we'll call it a day. No, a successful (laughs) hostage negotiator has to get everything he asks for without giving anything back of substance. And to do so in a way that leaves the adversaries feeling as if they have a great relationship. right? Like that's crazy to think that like that is such an intense position to be in. And of course, like in our day to day life, we are not in that extreme. But that extreme highlights what is capable when you're dealing with negotiations is I want to get what what I want and I want to do it without actually having to give up anything substantial. And I want to do it in a way that leaves you feeling like we're still buddies. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's the that's the end goal. And and Pure Russell Podcast never ever ever um advocates for like taking advantage of people. Our our 100%. idea is not like go rip people off, but it's it's to get the best deal for you. Because if it's if if you know in order to be profitable, you need to be buying something at this level, then that's the level you need to be able to purchase stuff at. And if people aren't willing to get there and they want to split the difference with you, that's in your profit margins and that might not be feasible for you as a business. So you have to be thinking, what is it ultimately I need to do to take care of my family? And I'm going to get it or I'm going to find
0: somewhere else. Agreed. And it's interesting you said that because you're you're talking, you know, you you brought up the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's not applicable, right? But he actually, he goes in, well, you kind of said that you didn't really, well, anyways, let me just read his line and it'll make sense. But he goes, he eventually says at a certain point, Every negotiation gets down to the brass tacks. That is to old school haggling, right? So ultimately, yes, even the very basics of garage sale haggling Mm -hmm. still deals with what we're talking about, right? How many times have, you know, you've experienced me doing this where I, you know, I tap into the emotions when somebody has a super high price and I'll tell them, I go, you know, it seems you really attached to that item. It must mean a lot. And the person emotionally goes, you know, no, I'm not really. You know, well, let's talk about. Maybe I'm willing to sell it, right? Mm-hmm. And then eventually we go down that road, and you know, then I bring in my emotion, like, well, it'd be really great. You know, I this I do this full time. I have a family, blah blah. blah. And then you make that connection. Boom, you got mm-hmm. the deal.
1: Yeah. No, that's good, right? Um, do you mind if I uh, propose an idea on air here? So, um oh. <laughs> we're 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 just, live right now. So we're, we've laid the the foundation here for this book, and I think so far there's. I would say the challenge I would take out of this first chapter is listen. Build empathy. Listen. Oh, so you got open-ended questions. That's huge. And then the listening aspect. And I think just that, like trying to do that for the next couple of weeks is just thinking about like, okay, how can I listen to somebody's conversation without like wanting to interject or be thinking about my arguments? And will it work? Like, what do you have to lose? Like, especially if you're having a debate at, you know, Thanksgiving at the dinner table with some <laughs> other family member, right? I can't believe it's almost Thanksgiving. Yeah, I no, It's crazy. Black Friday. Just think, right? Like, what do you have to lose? Like maybe you walk away and you didn't get to like say that, aha, gotcha moment. But just listen to to their entire argument and see if that doesn't open up the door for you to either give your arguments or even if you don't get to give that one, if the ones you do give are received a little differently. right? Or you
0: just go, you might be right. You might be right. And just walk away. Maybe. And then that person has to really reflect on, am I really right? Like why did that person say that? And just let it go. Just let it go. I mean, he talks about, you know, That long, you know, that patient game. And sometimes that's what it takes.
1: It's good. So um, I think that's a good challenge. And what I was going to say is maybe for the rest of this episode, um, we just briefly, because at the end of chapter one, it explains, it gives like a quick breakdown of what each chapter is, like a highlight of what the main skill or the idea that's in there. So maybe we just briefly talk about what those are so we know what's coming up and then, uh, you know, take that challenge
0: that we have. Okay. I hear you. There's a lot in here. There's Yeah. No, there's there's a lot. We haven't even, we haven't mentioned any, well, okay, let's hold Before we do that though, we haven't even done this yet. If you haven't had a chance yet and you, you are on social media and you haven't followed us. We are on Instagram, on Facebook and TikTok as Pure Hustle Podcast. We are on Twitter as Pure Hustle Cast. You can also find us on YouTube. So if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see our lovely mugs or you want to see what we're talking about and sometimes, and actually coming soon, we'll be dropping some random videos here and there. Uh, you can follow us, Pierce the Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe to us. Hit that like button. Get those notifications. And if you ever want to give us a call, you can always give us a call at 619-738-1170. 619-738-1170. And you know what would be awesome? If you shared some of the things from this book that you applied in your real life that worked. I, I'd love to hear that. I think that'd be awesome. Like yeah. To play on the air and go, hey, you know, somebody calls and goes, you know what? I attempted this and this is what I got out of it. Now, we're not there yet right? Because the real practical comes later on, but there's some things here. Maybe you got a job because your last question was out of Do you have any questions or anything that would get you to decide whether or not to hire me or have I answered everything to your best? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't word that right. Yeah. Let me write that right. If when they ask you, do you have any questions? Say, you know, I was just wondering, is there anything else I need to clear up that would cause you to hesitate in hiring me for this position?
1: Yeah, is there anything that I've said here that 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 causes concern or um that makes you feel like I'm not a good fit for this company? Right? You no, well, I wouldn't. Say. <laughs> no, that's good though because then they say like no, like you 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 you're a good fit for the company. Like if that if that's their thought, you know, like can they articulate why you shouldn't be hired? And if they can't, and they you know mention like no, you, you everything you said was great, and you know they yeah. leave off on a good
0: disclaimer. Thing. I did learn this from somebody else, so it wasn't Orlando's original idea. All right. Hey, and outside of that, you can also email us at purosapodcasts at gmail.com at gmail at com, And if you ever want to say thank you in a monetary way, there's a link below. Thank you so much for the donations that came in this past week. We are always shocked and surprised when things come in. So thank you so much. Definitely helps us. And as always, you know, reviews are very powerful. We're looking, we're almost at 200. Our hope was that by the next theme episode, we'd be at 200 and we're I think we're like 20 something away. Last I checked, we were like at 178 or something like that. So anyways, write up a review or just five stars. That would be awesome. So let's wrap things up here then.
1: Yeah. I was just and like I was saying that it gives us a nice little breakdown and kind of a teaser of each chapter. Okay. And 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 like I said, this this so far, this first chapter, even though it wasn't like a lot of practical, there was practical, right? Like listen actively, open-ended questions and kind of figuring out how that works in in your life and how you can use that. Uh, so going into chapter two, it says in chapter two, you'll learn how to avoid the assumptions that blind neophyte negotiators and replace them with active listening techniques like mirroring silences and the late night FM DJ voice.
0: You're tuning into Pure Hustle Podcast after dark. Yeah.
1: So um, you're going to go ahead and leave us a review, a
0: uh, five star review on iTunes. That would be great. That's kind of the. Uh, <laughs> you kind of you, you sounded like something else, though. I did it sound late night DJ. It yep. was almost late night DJ. But maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What is the late night DJ? Does it DJ depend saying? on your station? Maybe it does. Like, is there a difference between a hip hop and a country station, late night DJ? Yeah,
1: yeah. Late night DJ is kind of like the calm, like, just authoritative, like, you're listening to blah, blah, blah. Thank you for calling in. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about, and it's kind of just like, you know, don't you think? Like, <laughs> what, what What is your idea of a late night DJ?
0: No, yeah. Like smooth, like... Yeah you're listening to the sound of pure as a podcast that's right
1: I, I, I was trying to accomplish that with my uh, uh go ahead and leave us a review five-star review on itunes would be great uh we we appreciate it and uh you know i don't know if i'm very good at the late night DJ. would
0: voice, you be willing to leave a five-star review what but, do you think about that but
1: uh part of the dj voice is is to not actually ask a question but to but to say it like
0: I get it. But now I do better. He talks about another voice about the playful positive. That's
1: your, that's your go-to.
0: That is my go-to. That is, that
1: should be everybody's go-to. is
0: the podcast. (laughs) That's how I roll pretty much all the time. But anyways, all right. So yeah, no, he, chapter two is really good because even the mirroring part, like it's, it's, you'll learn about how to be assertive, but yet you're still like, you're, you're not giving, but you're negotiating. Right. So that's kind of tough.
1: Now, Tell us about chapter three. What is chapter three going to be about?
0: Uh, I think uh, tactical empathy, right? And so anyways, he he goes, you know, the key thing is in understanding that you're weaponizing (laughs) all these different tools. I, I think it's so good to understand that at face value, things can be used for a lot more than what you initially see them, right? And that's what I'm seeing, what he's talking about here.
1: Yeah. So chapter three says, we'll delve into tactical empathy. You'll learn how to recognize your counterpart's perspective and then gain trust and understanding through labeling. That is by repeating perspectives back to them. I don't think that's good.
0: Yeah. So I'm looking forward. So are we going to, let's try to hit, the, let's try to hit two chapters, our next Pures podcast. Yeah, of course. We can do it. No, I know we're laying down the ground. There was a lot of groundwork. Like, and hopefully this, if you didn't pick up the book, this motivated you, you don't even have to use our affiliate link below. Just get the book, go to the library. Somebody actually in the last uh, Level Up review uh, dropped a tip about how to get books for free from the library, which you can do that anyways, but there's another way to get it. So I, I just really want to encourage you to pick up this book. I think it's such a great tool. Now,
1: are, are we going to like break down? I, I was I was envisioning us just to quickly give like that sentence of each chapter, like that way we give a teaser, like what they can expect this book. So that way they want to go get it. Okay. Do it. All right. That's what I, yeah. All right. That's a Chap- good negotiation, like yeah. chapter four, um, chapter four, I'll explain ways to make your counterpart feel understood and positively affirmed in negotiating in order to create an atmosphere of unconditional positive regard. That's a Good one. Chapter five.
0: Oh, you want me to read these? Yeah. I don't know. I, I okay. I'm, I'm a little, I, I want you guys to read it. I want the audience to read it. <sighs> I like, get that. <laughs> I'm more, okay, all right, fine. I just don't want to, here's the thing. How many of you can relate to the teacher that reads a PowerPoint in class? How many of you? Leave in the comments below, right? I, I You know, you, you ever had that teacher yeah. that they put a PowerPoint and they just read the PowerPoint? So I I, I don't want to do that on this podcast.
1: Yeah, but I'm not thinking like, I'm not reading, I've just given like the one sentence summary of what each chapter was about. So people would know like what we're going to be talking about.
0: All right. So chapter five, (laughs) uh, basically the flip side of getting yes, you'll learn why it's uh, vitally important to get it to know because no starts a negotiation. That's pretty interesting. Good. Yeah. Right. Because how do you get to know and know seems like it would shut things down. I'm interested in that chapter. Yeah. That'll be good. That's good. Chapter six, you'll discover the art of bending reality. (laughs) It's even more next level. That's intense. That is intense. All right. And so, chapter seven, he talks about calibrated questions, which to me is kind of cool because it's basically, you know, he gives you a set of questions, right? So, again, I always say this like, this book is going to be something that you might, at the beginning, you might say, oh, this is really easy. But if you actually try to put things into action, it's going to be, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some hustle, some pure hustle. That's
1: good. Uh, chapter eight uh, demonstrates further how to use those calibrated questions to guard against failures in the implementation of the phrase. Yes.
0: I like it. And this other stuff gets even more. I, I think he gets more technical as the book moves on.
1: Yeah. Chapter nine says offers a step by step progress for effective bargaining from how to prepare to dodge an aggressive counterpart and how to go on the offensive.
0: And he calls it. It's called the Ackerman system. I like it. <laughs> All right. Anyways. And then chapter 10 is the black swan. So you just have to tune in and figure out what that means. (laughs) Right? So, Hey, but you know what I love about this book? What you'll enjoy about this book is that he's very good at storytelling. Right? So it's not like, Hey, this is how you do a and B and C. It's like, Hey, here's a story. Here's what happened. Let's break down this story and here's the practical parts of it. I think that is genius. Right. Even this first chapter, you know, you talked about in the very beginning of the podcast, how that grips you. Right. Because what would you call it in literary terms?
1: Uh,
0: in media rests. Immediate media rests. In media rests. In media rests. Res. Mm-hmm. OK. It means like in the middle of action. In the middle of action. So he does a great job and he does that throughout the book. Right. And so I encourage you like you, you're going to relate to some of this stuff and, and maybe you'll be able to put your own kind of You know, you'll be able to place this individual in this chair over here and this scenario over here where, you know, you'll think about, hey, there was this situation exactly like this that, you know what? I possibly could have walked away not splitting the difference. And so now I'll make sure from this point forward to go through this. So he's very big on, you know, talking about that conflict, right? He says this in the end of page 21. It is what makes conflict potentially meaningful and productive for all parties, right? And he's referring to that negotiation is the heart of collaboration, right? It's it's interesting because he doesn't use the word that negotiation is at the heart of winning, right? He says negotiation is at the heart of collaboration. And actually, if you watch some of his videos, I, I watched some of his past week in preparation to read the book. By the way, I strongly advise If you ever are going to pick up a book, know what the author is about before you ever read a book. Because understanding context means a whole lot more when you read a book. That's that's the uh, humanities teacher in me coming through, but it's very big. So anything else you wanted to add here?
1: No, I think that just about covers it.
0: You're good. So, hey, so well, let's give three takeaways before we walk away. What are the three things you said we should implement this next, next go around before so the next book?
1: Open-ended questions, uh, utilizing open-ended questions when you're okay. dealing with somebody as opposed to just giving a, a simple yes or no, kind of those guided questions. Uh, and then listening, right? So actively listen to what somebody is saying instead of thinking about your point, what you want to make, and see how if that changes the interactions. If, the, if, if once a person feels heard if that allows you to have more leeway in giving your explanations or maybe move them closer towards your your side or, or maybe even you move towards their side if you've actually listened and maybe they had points that you hadn't considered before. And what about you? Do you have anything to add?
0: I'm just going to read the last paragraph. Do it. Actually last two. Okay,
1: so he's going to be he's going to read the uh the slideshow. <laughs> now, the I, PowerPoint. Am.
0: I am because it's so powerful. I know. I just contradicted myself. It's all good. You might be right. All right. I've always thought of myself as just a regular guy, hardworking and willing to learn. Yes, but not particularly talented. And maybe that's you, right? I feel like that all the time. And I've always felt that life holds amazing possibilities. In my younger, much younger days, I just didn't know how to unlock those possibilities. I'm 40 and I still feel that way. That's not him. That's Orlando's voice in the book. But with the skills I've learned, I found myself doing extraordinary things and watching the people I've taught achieve truly life-changing results. When I use what I've learned over the last 30 years, I I I know I actually have the power to change the course of where my life is going to help others do that as well. 30 years ago, while I felt like that could be done, I didn't know how. Now I do. Here's how and with that being said make sure to be real be relevant and be reselling peace